So tonight we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we're in that book now that covers a time period of about 1100 B.C. to about 1000 B.C. We're transitioning from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And the first part of this book deals with the recognition and the rise of Samuel the prophet, this amazing man who uh, will be the final judge of the judges and a prophet at the same time. And God's going to do great things through him. And eventually it'll shift to King Saul when we get to chapters 8 and beyond. The focus will shift to King Saul. And then later on, around 16, and the rest of the book deals with King David and the preparation of David to become king as a replacement king for King Saul, whom God eventually rejected. And we have a similar thing tonight. As we come to chapter 3, we have the background where Eli is the priest there in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and his sons were unfaithful. Hophni and Phinehas, they were not just unfaithful, they were evil. They bullied people. They were sexually immoral with the women. And people were stumbled by what they did in a terrible way. And because of this, God has already pronounced that judgment would be coming upon his household for these things. And so that does affect the text tonight because in the midst of that background, Samuel, who's this little boy that was the miracle child that we studied in detail on Saturday night and last week verse by verse as well, that Hannah could not have children. She cried out to the Lord and God gave her this first son, Samuel, whom she dedicated to the Lord. And she brought him to the tabernacle there in Shiloh, where he grew up as like a toddler and a little pre-K and all that, serving with his little robe in the, the priesthood there along with Eli, and just really set apart in a very special way. Of course, God gave Hannah other children after that, which is a whole other part of the story that's beautiful. But as we pick up the text tonight, we've got Samuel the boy, probably like kindergarten, first grade, second grade range, Samuel the boy serving there in the tabernacle, and then by no decree of his timing in life, because he's just a kid, and you're born when you're born, but now he's going to be called by the Lord in this background when judgment's going to come in full fruition on the house of Eli, and that's the dominant theme of chapters 3 and 4 tonight. So we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, when we read this. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he, he, Eli said, I, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. We'll pause there for now for the first part of this text. 
So here we have this situation. In the book of Judges, we saw where God called people to ministry. He put his spirit on them. Think of the angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon, stuff like that that we've already seen in recent times as we come from the book of Judges into 1 Samuel. But this is pretty special because it's, it's a child. And that should get our attention right away. Because, of course, here at Worship Generation and most churches, you're ministering to children, and they grow up within a church. We've been here 17 years, and we've watched a lot of children grow up right from being in our infant toddler room to right in through high school. We had a high school group with dozens of kids that came and went, and they all grew up, and they're all like in their late 20s now. And time moves on, and you grow up. And in the, in the history of our children's ministry, we've always been so blessed here to have wonderful people serving in our children's ministry. So, of course, I just would say right now, thank you, everybody who serves in our children's ministry here at Worship Generation, because God has, for over 17 years, raised up people that love the Lord, that fight the spiritual battle to come here and serve our children, serve your children, and raise them as unto the Lord. Now, some of you are older and your children didn't grow up in this children's ministry. They grew up maybe in other children's ministries, like maybe at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And you had, maybe they went to school there and they had teachers, junior high, high school, they had elementary teachers, they had children's ministry teachers. And we realized how many wonderful people poured into our children while they were growing up before they became adults. And, and how special it is and what a blessing it is for many of you that made the time with children to do that and to prior, prioritize that. And we realize when they become adults, they make adult decisions and they live with that and you pray for them and you hope they make good decisions as adults. But we can never underestimate how important it is to have a heart for children, a vision for children, and a ministry for children. And that God uses children. We, we know this from our own children, how when they're younger, how God might, would use them to minister to our parents, maybe who are gone now. And you, just to, how from the mouth of babes, Jesus said, he's perfected praise. And we see where God uses children. And we've got to always have a heart for children, realizing that they're, they are the future. And every time babies are born, we're reminded that God's not done with planet Earth and he's doing it work and there's another generation rising up and we just want to always just have a heart for children. Always. You know, when you get down and I remember when I coached Little League with uh, when Timmy was in eighth grade, or excuse me, when Timmy was eight and then also when Luke was eight and being a Little League baseball coach, you know, and I'd always get on my knees. I still have these photos and I saw some recently where I'm on my knees because I always like eye contact with the kids. You know, and it's so important that we come into their world and don't expect them to come into ours, but we come into theirs. And of course, having done many memorial services for children that have stepped into eternity as children and the grief and the sorrow for the parents left behind, we just know like children truly are a heritage from the Lord and they belong to the Lord. And the wisest thing we can do from start to finish, from babies to full-grown adults, is give them to the Lord. But there's something so special about children, and some of you have grandchildren. You watch children grow up, and you realize it happens so fast, and you need to sow the good seed every day, every day, every day, praying for them, pouring into them, encouraging them, building them up. So maybe you don't have children, but when you see people that you know that have children, make time for those children. The children are not a nuisance. They're the future, and everything that we speak into them of the life of Christ and the promises of God and the good things of God we're, we're, we're truly making the planet a better place, and we're investing equity and value to the future of this planet by investing in children and speaking the words of life and speaking the words of hope and encouraging them and imparting dreams to them and a future to them. It's really important that when we see children who aren't old enough, in a sense, to develop their own faith, that we speak our faith into them and upon them, that we speak the promises of God over them 
and that when we're around them, we're elevating their faith for the here and now and a future. Because, of course, there's many things that beat them down to take away their faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's super important when we look at this text tonight to be reminded to speak life over children and speak the hope of heaven and the promises and to speak the word of God over their perceived limitations, physical disabilities, mental disabilities, emotional disabilities, but to speak life over them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about excuses. It's about empowerment and enablement to live a fruitful life. Whatever God has given you in your life, whether you're Helen Keller or Bethany Hamilton losing an arm to a shark at 12. Like, we want to always be encouraging kids, speaking life to kids, and encouraging them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because remember, when they're younger, they're in those formative years. And when Jennifer went through college in child development, and my wife and all that she did, and former director of the, uh, the, the really younger kids at Calvary School there, and watching her study and the things she learned, and you learn the, what the expectations of behavior is for an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. And we know, for example, on the recess, first through third grade, kids are a certain way. And then fourth grade, suddenly boys become bullies in fourth grade, if you didn't know that. Boys suddenly just get this chain mush thing going. They want to bully other boys. And it's just so interesting how it all works out at different age groups. Such a special time. And just a good reminder for all of us, as long as we're alive, whether we have children or not, or grandchildren or not, that we have to pause and think about it and, I, and be deliberate and intentional. For me personally, in my daily goals, I'm reminded every day to stop when my grandkids are around, pray with the grandkids, or speak life and blessings and promises over them. That's a good thing. And again, if you don't have grandchildren, somebody else does. And all those kids that come your way, we want the vision for the future. Because the word of the Lord was rare in these days. And the word of the Lord is rare in our days. And we want God to put his hand on young people and to set them apart. And if these young children have to face eternity at the age of nine, which I've been with nine-year-olds before they step into eternity, I've shown up with the little casket graveside. It's so hard. It's so difficult. We want to be speaking life, and we want to see faith for the future. So we're either going to bring a dark, negative, fearful worldview to the next generation, or we're going to bring Jesus on the throne and God as light and faith and hope and triumph, and all the promises are yes and amen. So it's a good reminder that we who are mature in the faith speak life, pray life, and bring life to the next generation. Because children, most children don't get to hear the audible voice of the Lord like Samuel. But every time we bring Christ into the equation and we love on them in Jesus' name, we're bringing the voice of Jehovah to the Samuels of the future. Now, the word of the Lord was rare. And if people say the stock market is cyclical or housing is cyclical and these various things that people say, the cycles that go on, inflation cyclical and stuff like that, so too the word of God is cyclical in the human experience. 
there's an ebb and flow with certain generations that have the Spirit poured out on them profoundly, and then there's some that it would seem it's a drier time. But we don't choose when we get to live, but we do choose how we are going to live when we are living. And this was a time when the word of the Lord was rare. And again, I just remind all of us, none of us should be of a disposition that the worst is yet to come. But we should be of a disposition that the best is yet to come. And that because things have been so difficult and so challenging for all of us, and how challenging for the young children you know, when you see them walking by themselves with a mask on in the middle of the day with no one near them, it just, it makes me so sick in my stomach. I can't even express it and what they're up against. But we cannot project a worse future or presume a worse future for them than what God has given us. For we don't know the mind of the Lord and we have no idea what the Lord's going to do in their generation, right? Think how many people thought by 1966 there's no hope for the church on planet Earth. And then God started moving amongst the hippies. And the Jesus movement was birthed. It's super important that when you leave this ministry, you're bringing faith and hope and expectation for a better future to this world from our Bible studies. For every Samuel and Elizabeth and Mary and all those to come in the next generation. Super important. Nothing make me sadder than you to send into my teaching, leave this place and go spew negativity and darkness and fear on people, especially little people. And I don't think most of you would do that, but in case you thought to, don't. Frame it through faith and hope because that's what the word of God is. It's faith and hope. And we're not, we're not buying into the darkness and the fear, but we are believing in the king and the promises and a future and a hope. And it's not like the next generation gets less than us. And if it does, it's not for us to make that call, right? Right. So the word of the Lord was rare. And we realize the word of the Lord is rare. But who knows? Who knows what child you see on this playground or going to school or walking by themselves with a mask on? Who knows which child could be so influential to bring about a better future than the one these kids are looking at right now where the word of the Lord is rare? God's arm is not short, nor his hand is not short and his arm is not weakened. And we have to keep remembering that when we feel a sense of uncertainty or despondency over current events in every generation, in every generation. So keep that in mind. So the Lord calls Samuel and he called him. It says he called him there back in verse three, that the Lord called Samuel. The Bible is filled with God calling people, calling people to himself, to their purpose in life to serve the Lord, short life, long life, John the Baptist, short life, Samuel, long life, but calling people to serve him, that divine purpose over everyone's life where we get to live the human experience and triumph through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for those whose lives are yielded to him. And the Lord called Samuel in an Old Testament way at a very young age. I've done many water baptisms for younger kids. I've done many baby dedications, of course, but many water baptisms. And I've watched the hand of the Lord be on young kids. So again... 
God is calling people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And I even talked about this Saturday where our daughter Hannah grew up listening to all the Cedarmont kids' uh, DVDs from the 80s that we had in the 90s, from the 80s and the 90s. And we sowed that good seed, and we could see that calling at an early age. We have to have faith for the call of God on younger people's lives. It's so important that we're projecting that faith and confidence for them in Jesus Christ. But also for other people that the Lord called Samuel. And if we're gathered here tonight, we're born again in the Spirit, we have to consider ourselves that we are called. God has called us. Now, he called Samuel to be a judge and a prophet. Samuel eventually goes on a circuit doing his ministry. We'll see that. But God's called, called him young. Some of you made a decision for the Lord when you were young. Some made a decision when you're later. Maybe some of you have never even made a decision for the Lord. You certainly could today on the 15th of February, 2022. But he calls us into that decision. But he doesn't call us to be on the sidelines, but he calls us to be engaged and to be doing the ministry and to enter into the work. And that's really important to understand that, that as we understand that God gives each one a gift and a, and a calling. And we're all still, especially from what we've been through in the last couple of years, we're trying to figure out what is our gift and what is our calling and what do things look like now in serving the Lord in the body of Christ or serving the Lord in our community or serving the Lord in the universal church. Like, what does it even look like right now? Well, I don't know what it looks like for us altogether, but I know if I'm seeking the Lord every day, he's going to guide me with what he has for me. He's going to guide you with what he has for you. We want to be open to his call. And the Bible tells us the gift and callings of God are irrevocable. There are certain things he's going to do in your life personally that is a divine purpose and calling on your life in Jesus Christ. There's gifts he's going to give you. There's power he's going to give you. There's vision and dreams and purposes he's going to give you that are absolutely deliberately for you. And if you're married, he's going to confirm that to your spouse as well. And you'll be collectively together in that call. And you have a calling and you serve the Lord together if you're married that way. But we're called. So we just think for a moment, am I doing what I'm called to? Do I have a vision right now, short term, what God's calling on my life is? Or am I just existing? Am I just grinding? Now, if you're grinding with Jesus, that's fine. But if you're just grinding, that's not fine. Even when David was going through all his hardships that we're going to see later in this book, even when David was going through his hardships, when he was coming with his men to go after Nabal, and Nabal's wife, Abigail, came out, she said, look, we all know you're going to be the king. Like, he's running, he's running around the wilderness with 500 men who are in debt, distress, and in debt. And they're distressed and they're in despair. And here's this woman he's never met before coming out to intercede on behalf of her husband, who's a fool, she said, my husband's a fool, and his name means fool. To stop David from doing something in anger and retaliation that he'd regret for the rest of his life. And she said, when you're a king, this will be just no, this will be. And, and even when David asked for the food and supplies from Nabal after taking care of all of his, his shepherds and all their stuff, they go, there's many people who run away from their master these days. And, and he's implying that David has run away from his master, Saul. But his wife, Abigail, comes out and saves everybody, though God still struck down Nabal. And she said, when you're a king, it'll all be nothing to you. You see, he was grinding, but he was still called. And even other people knew there was a bigger calling on his life. Even Abigail came out and said, look, we all know you're going to be the king. We want our lives to reflect that calling. We want to be walking in that calling. In fact, I'll even put something out for you. 
If Pete Carroll, when he was coach of USC, could summarize his entire purpose in 20 words with USC football, how much more should we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, define in 20 words or less what we think we're called to do on planet Earth in 2022? You know, I read that Pete Carroll book. It was signed to me. I actually gave it away. I'm always cleaning out my library. It didn't make the cut. Sorry, Pete. But uh, it was just football, football, football. And it was just like, you know, the Pete Carroll thing. But that's what I remember most about that book. And I go, I don't even need to keep the book to know that. Pete Carroll, at the end of the book, says, one of his books, he said, you should be able to summarize all your mission, your objectives, your goals, your vision in 20 words or less. Right now, on planet Earth, on the 15th of February 2022, can you summarize your purpose as a human being in the Church of Jesus Christ in 20 words or less? It's a good challenge. It's something to think about. Simplicity, clarity, absolute laser focus. Because your calling is in 20 words or less. It really is. And maybe you need to write out 60 words or 600. Just keep bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in, and bringing it in. What's my purpose? I'm almost 61. What's my purpose on planet Earth if I've got three months, three years, or 30 years, I'm going to make 91 like my dad? I've got a very clear vision, and you should too. It's not about a man plans his ways and tries to ask the Lord to fulfill it. It's more like a man plans his ways and the Lord, a woman plans her ways and the Lord directs her steps. That's what it is. But if there's a calling, there should, we're, we're meant to be, we're meant to do great things in Jesus' name. And Samuel would do great things in an Old Testament prototype in Jesus' name. The word of the Lord would not be rare. He would change things and the world would be a better place because of it. So think about your calling. Because Samuel says here as a kid in verse 10, speak for your servant here. So he's instructed to say that. And now God's going to speak to him and he's going to receive his ministry. And he's called. We are all called. And it's good to be reminded of that. Now we go on in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. So now the Lord's speaking to Samuel. And that day I'll perform against Eli... Um, against Eli, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifices or offering forever. They were past the point of restoration. They crossed that line that Pastor Chuck Smith used to talk about. You cross that line. Some lines you cross, you never come back, especially with the Lord. Verse 15, so Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, that is, Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Wow, so you're a kid, you're called into ministry, God speaks to you, most likely audibly, certainly in a way that you understood and heard clearly, and you got to tell the guy that's been raising you for the last six years or whatever, that God, that this guy serves, that you've been serving as a kid, that God is going to judge his household, because he did not deal with the vileness and the wickedness of his children. 
Welcome to the ministry, elementary school age, Samuel. But you got to do what you got to do. Speaking the truth is often not easy, but it is always necessary. Because the truth never gets lost and it never changes. Universal truth, biblical truth, absolute truth, personal truth. The truth is the truth. And that's why it's so good to be so immersed in the word of God because if you know the word, you know the truth. And you, and you don't get lost. We don't, we're not tossed, it says in Colossians, to every philosophies of men and all these doctrines of demons. We don't get pulled off track. If you just read the word of God and you take it in, it's truth. And it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and he'll keep us on track. Yeah, so the truth is the truth. And people so often don't want to hear the truth, but people need to hear the truth. And some people reject the truth. Some people are beyond the truth. And yet some people will respond to the truth and be transformed by it. Eli's response here is, the Lord let him do what seems good to him. And isn't that what we are going to say when we stand before the throne? Yes, yeah. Well, people that reject him are going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father before they're cast out. But no one's, no one's going to leave the throne of God in eternity murmuring about injustice in God's judgment upon their life from what they did with their life. No one's going to leave the court where the rainbow is over the throne of glory and say it wasn't a fair, a fair trial or all the facts weren't brought to light. Everything is naked and bare and open before him to whom we must give an account. And so that's sobering. And we'll get back to Eli in the next chapter in just a moment. But Samuel was faithful. He did what he was supposed to do. He said what he had. You know, you start your ministry right off the bat. You're like, hey, here we go. When God called Jeremiah to ministry, he's like, and God's like, don't say you're a youth. You're going to chop down and you're going to uproot and you're going to plant. It's like, oh, man, I like the planting, but I don't like the chopping down and uprooting. Can I tell you how many times in 34 years of ministry I've had to go say something someone doesn't want to hear. And you're really hoping they'll receive it well. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the truth is always the truth, whether it's received or not. Brian McDaniel, who we support in his ministries in Haiti, he told me a story years ago, because he did all kinds of ministry in Russia all over the world. He just, he's just one of those people you love to be around, just loves the Lord, just has faith and believes God for everything while he's in the middle of it all. But he told the story where he shared his faith with a Jewish man in a Somehow this Jewish man in a department store and the man was like, I reject Jesus. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. And Brian McDaniel was walking through scriptures and everything. And then the guy left. And then about five minutes later, Brian goes outside and the guy died of a heart attack in the parking lot. He literally walked up and the guy had died of a heart attack. And, and there, he was right there. And Brian McDaniel was like, wow. Like the Lord used me to give this guy, guy the gospel of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, in his very last, on the clock with 10 minutes ago on planet Earth. Brian McDaniel was a faithful evangelist to share Christ, the truth, with a Jewish man who rejected it and dropped dead right afterwards. It's always good to know the truth, stand on the truth, and share the truth, whether perceived or not. And then it's all between them and the Lord. The last few verses say this. 
So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he, and, and he, and let none of his words, so the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. So Samuel grew and God was with them and he spoke with full authority. There is so much authority in his words because he was that ambassador of the Lord. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, the north to the south, they knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So, I love this phrase. From as far north to as far south as God's people of covenant were in Israel, they all knew that God had established this boy as a prophet to the Lord. And before we move on to the next chapter, it just does present that thought. When you're serving the Lord, when I'm serving the Lord, when we're stepping out in faith, we're, 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 just, we're stepping out in faith, whatever it looks like, however it's framed, however God's using it. Speaking with people like that have been, you know, recently on mission trips overseas or people that are called to new churches and new adventures and ministry in those churches. Those are the most exciting things. And as you step out in faith, as you enter into new jobs, as you begin new chapters and new seasons, but it really is the Lord and it's a venture of faith. It's like we want people to know that God has established us in what we're doing. We had someone come up to us last week to tell us they're moving on from the church and how much they enjoyed the church, how much they loved the church, how it was such a special time in their life and that God was calling them on to another church, they had a ministry they're going to be doing this new church. And we, we just pronounced blessings upon blessings upon them. Because we like we're all we're all this together. Like you're, we're just like a, a rest stop on the way. If you want to stay at this oasis and these palm trees and this living water, good for you. But like God brings people on their journey through worship generation so often. Like most of you are are the core congregation have been here for a while. But we all know like we've had a ministry where God brings us to come here, people here to to this church to receive the word in a certain way at a certain time in a certain season, and then moves them on. That happens in all churches, but on a Saturday, Tuesday church with me as the pastor, it happens even more so. Because God uses me to speak life at critical times in people's lives. And it's the voice of the Lord, and then it's done and it's sealed. And so it was a blessing to me to have someone affirm that, like, wow, you were like a prophetic voice in my life at this critical time when I endured these persecutions at work and these things and all this stuff, but you stood with us and you prayed with me and, and, and now we're doing this and we want to do this pro-life ministry because, you know, we once did this in our life that, and we're just, we're, we just have a heart and we're doing this and it's a beautiful thing. And they are established by the Lord. And in speaking with this woman, we could say she's established by the Lord. It's, we know she's established by the Lord. So go be who you're supposed to be. Go do what you're supposed to do, the new season, the next chapter. But do it in Jesus' name. Don't leave the Lord here in this sanctuary. Make sure he's leading you on from this sanctuary. And go be fruitful where he's leading you on to. Let it be made known to all, wherever you go, whatever you do, the Lord has established you. Because I started Calvary Vista, leaving the surf world. And all my unsaved friends could see that the Lord had established me. The Lord had established me and given me my lovely wife and called me to ministry with Brian Broderson in 1988 in Vista. And he sent us to Virginia and the Lord established us in Virginia. And he sent us to Vermont and the Lord established us in Vermont. And he brought us back to Cardiff and established us in everything we were doing. He established us. And he's always established us and he'll continue to establish us. And now with 34 years with Jesus, people can say like, the Lord has established what we're doing. 
or like Joseph in Egypt, that he prospered, whatever he did, he prospered. I want you, I want us, I want every believer in Jesus' name, young and old alike, that whatever they're doing in 2022, that people can look at their life and say, that man, that woman is prospered by the Lord, and they are established by the Lord. That God is establishing the work. That good work he's begun in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. And he's doing it right here and now on planet earth through you right now. That's what we want. And so we delight ourselves in the Lord. We're open to what he wants to do. And we go for it. And we don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Like, hey, just hand to the plow. Don't overthink it. When you know what you know, just go for it. Don't look back. There's all kinds of things like I could, I could lose sleep. I, I, could, I could have stopped sleeping years ago just thinking like, what was Vermont all about? Look, we went. We did the best we could. There's good fruit. We're going forward. The Lord established us. Next. Remember we saw that? Next. You step up, get next. Now, chapter four is we get the judgment on Eli, and it's a dark time. Now, Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek, and then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, and the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, you know, the angels there on the Ark of the Covenant. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, oh, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, Samuel being a historical book with a narrative, this, we've seen in the book of Judges, the Midianites, the Moabites, all, even the Philistines, war. It's a brutal world. And this was war. And someone's going to serve somebody. Israel had been serving the, Phil, the Philistines, and the Philistines are like, fight, because we don't want to serve the Hebrews. We're going to fight. Somebody serves somebody, right? Even if it's not open war, it's electronic war. It's marketplace of thought war to control the narrative, right? You know, cancel culture, woke mob. There's war. War to control the narrative, control the wealth. There's nothing new in humanity going on on planet Earth. There, there's wars going on all over the planet right now without even weapons being used. Or not weapons of mass destruction, but weapons of control. And there actually is quite a war against the church right now and what the church represents. And if you think the Philistines drew up a battle, battle array against Israel such a time as this here in the book, who even knows what the battle line looks like of the 
the enemies of the gospel and the demonic powers behind them who are opposed to the church, our existence, our message, and our function. Which is really sad because everything true, just, noble, and praiseworthy is the character of Christ, which is what the church should be reflecting and is called to reflect. But men love evil, as Jesus said, and men love darkness. And they, they, he said, don't be surprised that the world hates you because they already hated me. Because the world loves darkness and we're light. So there's not much we can do about the, the, the enemies of the gospel arraying themselves in battle against the people of covenant, now the church. But we're not in the same situation they were in. For one, because Jesus is for us and he's going to always be for his church. He might be chastening you and me. He might be chastening your family or mine. He might be chasing the church or some other church, but he's still for his church, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So our chasing is a good thing. And as Hebrews says, we're to be trained by it, that we can be uh, produce greater holiness in our life and what we're about. Jesus is not going to abandon his church. He loves his church. He's for the church. And so we know whatever's going on in our timeline of representing Christ in this world, being salt and light, the kingdom of heaven on earth, the kingdom of God, that God is for us. Now, at any given time, we might have great leadership or poor leadership. But in the end, God's for his people. And this is a tough thing to read about Israel getting defeated like this. It, I never like to see the Philistines winning anything in the Old Testament. I don't. It just seems so unfair. But even worse than the Philistines winning is, is Eli's kids, Hophni and Phinehas, who are sleeping with women and ripping people off and stumbling people from worshiping God and his holiness, showing up at the Ark of the Covenant like they think God's going to bless them. And even worse is God's people thinking that the power of God is in this symbol or this thing, this tangible thing, as opposed to just faith in the living God. People always move toward tangible, what you can touch, what you can see. You know, all those wars in Europe for hundreds of years with the different state churches. Man, they just roll out, but they always bring their shrines and trinkets, you know, to the battlefront. The Russians are notorious for bringing all their Orthodox church stuff out before they go to battle against the French, like Napoleon there, 1812 and all that. It's, they're just, it's just, you study history, it's just like they get the religious thing, it's like they bring the icons out, and here they go. The Russians and the Poles going head to head, you know, or the Russians and the Swedes with Peter the Great. Everyone brings their little holy icons out. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence not yet seen. The confidence for our victories are on our knees seeking the Lord by faith. Like Jesus said, the time is coming where people worship God in spirit and in truth, not at this mountain or that mountain. We move mountains by faith. And sometimes I wish we could see more than we see, to be honest, and get a little more encouragement than sometimes we get. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that's an immutable truth. What he's been in the past, he is today, and what will be for these children we were talking about earlier. He's the same. So the battle is the Lord's, and he's got it. But you know what? If there's chastening, and the Bible tells us that judgment begins in the house of God. And who's not to say that what we've all been through? And I haven't seen the last two years, but I really could say the last 20. Because you go back to 9-11 and all that went on after that, all the loss of freedoms, the Patriot Act, and all that kind of stuff how the whole planet changed. The, the re, that's the first big reset on global economy and all these powers wanting their new world order. That's really where it began. Actually, it's not where it began. It's where I found another gear. 
But you know, God's bigger than that. And all these masters of the universe, they're, they're just going to do what they do. Like Nebuchadnezzar and Alexander the Great, they're just Hitler, Mussolini, whatever. They're just going to do what they're going to do. And we can't be moved by them. We just got to make sure that we're not people of covenant who live like Hophni and Phineas. We want to make sure that we're living razor sharp for the Lord. And that if we're receiving correction, we are being corrected. Yeah. We don't want to go into the battle, whatever it is, and face all these things. And by the way, verse 9, it says... The Philistines said, be strong and conduct yourselves like men. They know they're fighting God, the God who did the miracles, and yet they're so determined, they actually, you know, I've often thought, how are the armies of the world going to come to Megiddo and fight against God? You ever thought that? Like, what human being is going to show up in the Valley of Armageddon and fight against God coming down from heaven? People like this. People who strengthen themselves that are so sure they're going to defeat God. And they're all around you every day. You deal with people who are so sure they're going to defeat God. You would think that they knew, but God allowed it. Just don't like to see the Philistines winning. I just don't, I don't like it at all, but they did. And I don't like to see the Ark of the Covenant captured by the bad guys, but they captured it and God allowed it. And so in a series of deaths that had to come, the first deaths we read about are Hophni and Phinehas. So these two evil men who misrepresented the Lord, stumbled people from worshiping the Lord, kept people from wanting to come to the tabernacle to worship the Lord, God allowed them to be struck down while the Ark of the Covenant was was captured. Then verse 12 we read, Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the Ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Like, that's the worst news you could ever hear when you're the main high priest. Verse 18. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas, his wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband was dead. Stop. Ruth, remember? Father-in-law and husband dead. Same situation as Ruth. That they were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. For that's what Ichabod means. Because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Everybody dies here. All the Israelites killed in battle. The two wicked sons, Eli, who allowed them to be wicked. And then the daughter-in-law, she dies in child labor. And it says, when they said it's good news, 
Because we do have stories in the Bible, like, you know, we get this with Rachel, too, when Benjamin's born. But she did not answer. She just says, the glory has departed. So she's stepping into eternity, and the last thing she says is, the glory has departed, because that's all she knew. What a contrast to Ruth. It's a tough one. But I'll tell you, one thing that's common for all the house of Eli here is they all stepped into eternity about the same time. And they were not ready for it. Hophni and Phinehas, plain religion with the Ark of the Covenant, struck down, dead, are captured. Eli, at 98, all those years of not dealing with things and knowing what God has prophetically spoken to him, and here it comes, and hearing the news, not only that his sons were dead, which I'm sure he expected to hear because God already told him it was going to be that way, but to hear that the Ark of God was captured by the Philistines, man, that's the last thing he heard before he stepped into eternity. That's the last thing he heard before he stepped into eternity. And then the daughter-in-law, the glory has departed. And so I just close with this thought. We are all going to step into eternity. We're reminded of that in this text tonight. Make sure when we're stepping into eternity, we're not saying the glory has departed, but the glory is coming. <laughs> right? The glory is coming. It hasn't departed. But to be able to say that, that's at that point in your life that you know that you are going to glory. Not that your sins have caught up to you in the very last moment of your life, which is the case with all these people here, although we don't know much about the daughter-in-law, but her worldview was the glory has departed. But out of the abundance of a heart does a woman speak or a man speak. I'd like to think if you were dying in child labor, you'd still be speaking faith in Jesus. I'd like to think I would be in my final moments, whether I you know, had a violent ending that I'd still be speaking faith over whoever's looking at me because we are the people of faith. And the end of this is the beginning of glory. And the last thing I want to say when I'm going to glory is keep looking for the glory, not that it's departed. Amen.